We'll be returning this morning back to uh, Luke, the second chapter. This entire chapter is uh, dealing with the theme, the overall arching theme of salvation. Uh, This morning we'll be looking at uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. You'll find that on page 857 of your pew Bible if you're utilizing a pew Bible. Again, it's Luke chapter 2, 21 through 38. And again, Happy New Year uh, to one and to all. This is God's holy and inerrant word, so let us give careful attention to it. Uh, uh, We've been going through Luke, but because today is what it is, I want to try to connect some things to the New Year's, this passage that we've been going through to the New Year's. So, Again, with that, let's read our word, God's word. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of Of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through her own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Our glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing us to a new year, for giving us the opportunity to be in your house on this day that you have set apart for your glory and the edification and feeding of your people so that they might be equipped to do your works. Father, we ask that you would bless us now in the hearing of your word and the preaching of your word. Open our ears and our minds 
so that we might rightly understand that which you're communicating to us. Grow us in the image of our Lord so that we might glorify him all to the praise of your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are again. It's that time of the year when we make our New Year's resolutions. It never gets old. We get older, but our resolutions have new life every year. They're born again. Two years ago in a New Year's Day sermon, I remember sharing with this congregation that I had the same resolution for 10 years. It was to lose 10 pounds. And at the end of 10 years, I was still resolving to lose the same 10 pounds from the first year. Well, I'm happy to report that in 2022, I I lost the 10 pounds I had been trying to lose over the course of that time. But then a funny thing happened. Dorothy, my wife, lost 10 pounds. And me trying to be a good husband decided I couldn't let my wife suffer through that loss. And so I went out and found the 10 pounds and strapped it around my waist. So here we go again. Here I'm reminded of the words of a fellow alumni from Howard University. Today she's a fitness buff. Uh, She said in one of her presentations that by February 1st, 80% of all New Year's resolutions go out the window by February 1st. Reflecting on that assertion leads me to conclude that New Year's resolutions can be good, but for most of us, and in the majority of cases, we need to be saved from our own personal versions of the movie Groundhog Day. And so for those of you who don't know what I'm referring to when I uh, mention Groundhog Day, Let me just say that I admire your youthfulness and know that the following words will be most effective in your hearing. Google it. In the meantime, I should also mention that we need to be reminded that there is no such thing as giving up something without replacing it. If one wants to get rid of a bad habit, for instance, the tried and true way to accomplish that is by adopting a new habit or a new practice. So here in the case of revolving resolutions, I'm, I'm thinking about like VBS here, how John Kwasney always comes up with the case of the sleuth. Well, we have the case of the revolving resolutions. I'm going to suggest that some of us jump off the, the carousel of unsec- unsuccessful resolutions and jump on the carousel of committing to growing in the knowledge of our Lord. Now, I understand that these two do not have to be mutually exclusive, but I would argue that one definitely needs to take precedence over the other, and when things are aligned properly, we would see God bless us in many of the things we aspire to do. So with those thoughts in mind and with my agenda being to to be faithful to Scripture, which tells me as a pastor that I am supposed to be equipping you for the work of ministry, I'm going to address our text this morning under three overarching headings, all of which comport with the following resolutions. First, this year I want to grow in the knowledge of Christ my Lord. And second, and this is for those who consider themselves or who are in fact further ahead in their discipleship, this year I want to have my 
orthodoxy. That is my understanding, right doctrine. Mary, join closer to my orthopathos. That is my right feelings. God does not want us to be lukewarm, but he wants us to be on fire for him. And as we go along in our Christian walk, there are things that buffet us, that come against us, and we get lukewarm. But God wants us to move forward in our love for him, to be growing in our love to him, to be excited about the things of Christ, about excited about loving and helping one another. And so I am going to then address this then under by revisiting for those of you that are in that second category. I want you to visit the foundations or take on the mantra that I'm going to revisit the foundations of my faith through a lens of gratitude this year so that I might grow in my affections for the Lord. So with those resolutions in mind, I'm, I'm going to comment on our text under these three headings. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus quells our hunger. And there I'm going to try to motivate you to pursue this resolution. And Jesus is a stumbling block, particularly to those who reject him. So first, Jesus fulfilled the law. There are four times in our passage and once in the very next verse, verse 39, where we see that Jesus' parents did something for him in accordance with God's law. Three places you hear, and in accordance with God's law, in accordance with God's law. Of those, three of those instances are in the very first three verses in our passage, verse 22, 23, and 24. So in addition to what we see in those verses, Verse 21 also speaks of a practice that God himself instituted, circumcision, the sign of the Old Testament covenant between God and his people. Now here it's interesting to note that one of the key tenets of our faith, in fact, our faith falls apart completely and you would be wasting your time being here if this were not true, the doctrine of the sinlessness of Christ. We assert that the scriptures teach that Christ was sinless, but here in our passage, we immediately come upon two items that are associated with him that both communicate the presence of sin. First, there's circumcision. Speaking of circumcision's connection to sin, John MacArthur wrote, circumcision was a spiritual object lesson of the need for cleansing from the depravity of sin which is passed to each succeeding generation through procreation. Circumcision was a physical symbol of the spiritual cleansing of the heart that takes place at salvation. Then there's purification and, and its connection to sin. You see that in verse 22. The text says, and when the time came for their purification. Here I would have you to note that although it says their time Purification was specific to the woman who gave birth. So in this case, it was speaking of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That by God's law, the mother was said to be unclean for 40 days after giving birth. The reason she was held to be unclean was because the child that she gave birth to was recognized as being a sinner. Or as Philip Ryken says, ordinarily the rite of purification Presumed that the child was a sinner, what made the mother impure was the guilt of her child's sin, which he inherited from Adam. So here we have an apparent disconnect. 
Jesus is said doctrinally to be free of any sin, yet his parents are submitting themselves to ceremonial acts which seem to communicate that he too was a sinner. So it gives. The scriptures themselves provide us with the answer. I'm reminded, for instance, of John chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, where Jesus goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. And then another identification of identifying with a need. And so John the Baptist says to him, I need to be baptized by you when he sees Jesus. And do you come to me? Jesus answered him and said, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And brothers and sisters, there is our answer. Jesus had no sin, but in submission to the Father, he committed himself to every jot and tittle of the law on our behalf. Or as it says in Romans 8, 3 through 4, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This, brothers and sisters, is the greatest news we've ever heard in the entire era of redemptive history, the fact that we were absolutely without hope whatsoever. None of us have the capability, the ability to to merit anything before God, to earn anything before God. But the king of glory himself left the glories of heaven. And so let me ask you this. Are you, how does the knowledge that the king of glory left the glories of heaven himself, did not count it equality to hold on to what he had, but humbled himself and became a man like we are, just like we are, when you talk man, generic, man, woman, just like we are, and suffered on this part of, part of life, went through actively suffering, passively suffering, and did all on our behalf. How does that make you feel to know that if he did not do that, and if he did not call you as his own, you would be suffering eternally separated from the God of glory, but instead you are now set apart to enjoy the presence of God and Jesus Christ for all eternity? How does that make you feel? I tell you how it makes me feel. It makes me feel like jumping and hollering and hooping and running down the aisle, but I ain't doing that in this church, you see. So is this just become academic? Is the knowledge of what God has done for you just academic knowledge in your head? Or like I said, have you married your orthodoxy to your orthopraxy? Is your feeling for the the Lord and what he's accomplished for you? here or are you lukewarm and that's what I'm saying that this is a year when we are to commit ourselves to growing in our love for our Lord yes we grow in our doctrine but we better be growing in our love for our Lord and thereby our practice will also be affected that is our orthopraxy you see 
Consider this. There have been tons of folks who've existed who by faith walked with God, but they were never privy to having the indwelling presence of his spirit the way we do today. They were never privy based on the finished work of Christ to have at their fingerprints in the same way that we do the peace that passes all understanding as a consequence of Christ's active and passive obedience. Concerning them, Hebrews 11.13 tells us, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Many of these folks experienced varying degrees of difficulties. We think of 11 of the apostles who were martyred. Varying degrees of difficulties, and they were hoping and praying for deliverance, both physically and spiritually. They knew what God had promised, but they were never privy to the identity and and exact object of their salvation the way we are today. Well, here in verses 25 through 38, we find two individuals, Simeon and Anna, who were blessed to see the object and subject of their faith. And by God's grace, we, we get to see and learn from the way they reacted to the blessing which God afforded for them. It's our second overarching heading, Jesus quells our hunger. And again, I'm saying this, going down this path as a motivation to to get you to pursue, to keep and pursue this resolution of growing in your knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus himself said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, here in verses 25 through 38, we get two examples of his word in action. First, we have the account of Simeon, and that's followed by, again, the account of Anna. So at this point, it's important to remind ourselves of the environment that these two were in. Because we, for some, to some degree, are in perilous times where the culture that we're in is turning speedily turning its back against God, where many churches are apostatizing. And so they were in a situation, we think that we're in a bad mess, but they were also in a situation. You see, the events of this passage took place during the Roman occupation of Israel. Commenting on this, one scholar wrote, Simeon's concern for his people was heightened by the distressing circumstances in which the nation found itself chafing under the occupation of the hated Romans. Such trying times intensified the believing remnant's longing for the Messiah to come and deliver them. And so it is in that context that we read in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting for the consolation. That word consolation comes from the Greek word paraklesis, uh, which has at its root Parakaleo, which means to comfort and by extension to save, to deliver, which results in that comfort. Now, I want you to also pay attention to, to Simeon's disposition because, I, again, we need to learn from him. We're told he was righteous and devout. In other words, his life was devoted to God. 
and the things of God. His posture was that of, of faith. And, and thus we can reason based on scripture that he being truly devoted and righteous in God's sight. Which means that he relied solely on God. It would also mean that he would have been humble. And we know that God's word tells us, blessed are the humble and God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And sure, it should not surprise us then to find these words in the latter part of verse 25. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And to what end? That he might recognize the source of his salvation, the Christ child, the author and finisher of his faith. And here he is right in front of him. And he would by faith know it. And how, brothers and sisters, does he respond? By blessing God. By speaking forth what's commonly known as Simeon's song. Verses 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This man was living in an environment where many people were questioning even whether God was still with them. And God here is comforting him as he was in Isaiah 40 when he said, comfort, comfort my people with the knowledge that a savior would come. And this is the savior that Isaiah was speaking about. And here Simeon is being comforted and now he can say, oh, I can go in peace. I've seen the Lord. You know, this part here, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that, that famous Martin Luther, I have seen, I've been to the mountaintop. That's where he got this inspiration from. So you see, Martin ain't got nothing on Jesus, you see. But there's something huge I want you to also notice here. Simeon is not just including the nation of Israel, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he communicates that which was communicated to Abraham from the very beginning, that he would be a father to many nations. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you about being excited about the things of God. Do you recognize and do you know that God had you in mind when the Spirit inspired Simeon to speak these words that are captured in verses 29 through 22. He had you in his heart even then. In verses 36 through 38, we have our second person of faith, Anna the prophetess. Our text communicates the fact that she was a worshiper of the one true God. For she worshiped as Jesus told the Samaritan woman in accordance with the dictates of God as he provided his oracle to the Jews. The posture again that Isaiah called God's people to in chapter 40 of his book is the posture she had. And what posture is that? They that wait upon the Lord. She was waiting upon the Lord, steadfast, immovable, committed her actions imply she had the same disposition that Simeon had. And thus God also graciously rewarded her with the presence of the author and finisher of her faith. Folks, the more you dig into God's word, the more you serve God's people, the more you serve God's purposes, 
the more God will reveal himself to you and the more the peace that passes all understanding, no matter what your situation is, will be present. You see, I went and I visited again Rinku and Eldrin and it was amazing when Eldrin, you know why we knew that Eldrin got in an accident? Because Eldrin said, in the midst of having a broken ankle, a broken left fibula, a broken right fibula, broken right arm, he told the attending physicians at that scene of the accident, please tell my people to pray. And in the midst of his pain, he reached out with his left hand to have me pray with him in the hospital right before going into surgery. And I couldn't help but feel that even in the midst of the pain that Eldrin had, that servant of God was experientially walking and living in the grace of God in the midst of what he was dealing. And the reason I can validate that is because of the follow-up text that Rinku sent saying that God was good when Eldrin came out of his surgery. That is what happens. God does not promise us that life will be the great or the best or anything else in this year or any other year or any other time. But we who know the Lord will walk with him in the peace that he gives. And here you have again Simeon experiencing that. The live Savior that would save not just him but those in the entire world who would call upon the Lord. So again, Anna now is immovable. She's not moving. Her reaction, verse 38, what is her reaction after seeing this Lord? She began to give thanks. So first, Simeon teaches us that we are to praise our God, that we are to be filled with joy at the seeing of our God, that we ought to know that we have the peace of God and we have peace with God. Therefore, if we go at any time to be absent from our bodies, will be what? To be present with the Lord immediately. Oh man, that should make us feel so awesome, walking and knowing that nothing, nothing can happen to us unless our God allows it. And if something happens to us, he will hold us and keep us. And so that is his reaction. And now Anna's, she began, verse 38, to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So again, she worshiped, she praised God. She, if she were in our day, would have been coming to church and raising her hand on Sunday morning and singing what we sung. Great is your faithfulness, O God our Father. And her heart would be warmed with what has come through her mind. You see, and not the opposite way around. And so the second thing you see here, as she continued to worship, but now having seen the object of her faith, she became what God has asked us to become, witnesses, ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. She spoke to the remnant. Today we speak to all not knowing who God's elect are, but knowing that he has saved us to the utmost and knowing that he will draw his elect to himself. So we are to do what? Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
And we are supposed to do that because we recognize the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God. We're not doing anything out of compulsion, but we're doing because we know that God first loved us and drew us to himself, all to the praise of his glory and for the good of his people. Oh, I wish somebody would say amen. That was kind of quiet, but I... <laughs> Look... She couldn't contain herself. Anna could not contain herself. And neither could the Samaritan woman. Neither could the Gadarene demoniac. You know, sometimes we look for heroes in the Bible and we want to look at Samson. And we want to look at all these guys that Gideon, you know, that went out with a little bit and God used them. And we want to look at Eglon and, and, and all these different judges and, and so on and so forth. And we want to look at David because he struck down Goliath. But nobody looks at the woman who wept on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her, uh, wiped his, wiped the tears on his feet, right? Is that right? No one looks at that. But that's one of my greatest heroes, you see. Because she recognized the goodness of God and the depth of what God had done for her. And I want to be like her in my appreciation and my affection for the Lord. And I'm asking you to reflect on the goodness of God that you too might walk in the joy and strength of the Lord as you recognize his goodness to you. And because of that, you too would be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor in him is not in vain. And he loves you and has always loved you as the father gave him, gave you to him for his glory. So they were all these people blessed with the presence of their savior and the disposition of their hearts was such that they couldn't keep the good news to themselves Instead, they joyfully shared it with everyone who would hear. And so my question is, are we prepared to be like that this year? Are we prepared to share the gospel message as God gives us the opportunity to do so? God will open doors for us to share. Will we take advantage of the opportunity because our hearts are so filled, it pours out of us? And if we are, if there's so, there's a couple of things that I, I want to point out to you real quickly. And I'll cover that under my last heading. Jesus is a stumbling block, particularly to those who reject him. Our text in verse 33 tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at what they heard about Jesus. But then in verses 34 through 36, we hear these words. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own souls also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's words directly refuted a line of reasoning that was prevalent among many of the Jews. That is that all Jews were going to be saved by the Messiah and this was irrespective of having any faith in God. It was in that environment that Jesus asserted that it was by faith alone, in him alone, for God's glory alone, that all nations, tribes, and tongues would be redeemed, that no man could get to the Father except through him. His message, according to Scripture, was rejected. Or as it says in John 1, 11, 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Instead, as Simeon predicted, his mother's soul was pierced with pain as her son was lifted up and stretched wide on a cross. But in God's providence, that cross would also be the means by which she would be saved and, and others would be condemned. For it would be that all those by faith, accepting the sacrifice carried out on that cross on their behalf, would be saved. Every one of us that have placed our faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ, according to Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was raised, you will be saved. But now Simeon, here under the inspiration of the Spirit, revealed this to them, and now to us. And many rejected it, and others re accepted this particular message Jesus himself said that when he comes, or when he came, he did not come to unite everyone, but certain people will be divided against other people, and so on and so forth. But to all those who profess his name again, he will personally be theirs. And so why am I saying this to you? Because in 2023, as we grow in our love and our affection for our Lord, and we go out and share that message with others, don't expect to be accepted by everyone, but you retain the godliness that God has given you. You walk in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit that God is working in and through you, and you spread the word of God, of Jesus Christ, the good news. Come hell or high water, good or bad, be faithful to your God because of what he's done and your love for him. And so in conclusion, I'd like to assert that the reason we should commit, and I'm just repeating myself, ourselves to growing in the knowledge of our Lord this year is because he committed himself to identifying with us. Again, he didn't have to leave heaven. He didn't have to put aside the glories of heaven and come here and, and become a man and suffer the way he did. But he did to identify with us. And now he's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, experientially knowing how we feel and the things we go through. And so he's able to speak to the Father and able to identify with us, Scripture says. And so we then should be people who walk in the love that we have, in great love for who he is, what he's doing for us, and our eternal destiny in him. Let me just say one last thing. You're not going to do this on your own. You're not going to walk. Hebrews 10.25 says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves as the custom of some is. Two things. Get involved in the life of the church organically. Two, get in the, involved in the life of other people in the church. Those are two things that God has given us so that we can grow in our love and affection for him and grow in our affection and love for those who will be serving in the body of Christ in our sphere of influence, all to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. A gracious heavenly father, what a marvelous thing that Anna and Simeon were able to witness. That as the Lord of glory himself, clothed in flesh, poised throughout his life to become the author and finisher of our faith. 
Solely for that purpose, he was committed to you. Solely for the love towards you and for the people that you gave him before the foundation of the world. As we reflect on these things in 2023, we ask that you would grow us in our zeal for you, grow us in our love for your scriptures, and grow us in, your love, in our love for your people so that we might fellowship with one another, desirous of encouraging one another as more as we see that day approach. Would you be with us this year in good times and in bad? Bless us first and foremost with the knowledge of your son. Grow us in his image more and more each day as you grow us in our zeal to avail ourselves of the means of grace that you've given us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.